Tonight's reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes, and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted his care to everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had, with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was in there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Amen. I'm sorry, I may have cut Julie off a little bit short there. I find it interesting that um, there are huge, maybe thousands of years of history that are sort of glossed over in the Bible within a few words or a few sentences. And yet this receives quite a few paragraphs. And in fact, the life of Joseph in general receives quite a lot of airtime. So there's something very important going on there, something quite unique. And uh, we will come back to look at that in just a moment.
Well, let's dig straight into the Bible. And if you want to follow along, turn to Genesis 39. We read biographies for different reasons, don't we? Some of them are funny. Some of them are heartwarming. Um, in this case, we've got a biography, but it's God's word. So it has a particular lesson to teach us today. And hopefully we'll see that as we go through it. And the first question I want to ask then is, uh, what are we supposed to notice as we read this story? I've got a couple of things here. Firstly, we notice that the Lord was with Joseph. It's the first description that's given about him. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. It's uh, something to admire, isn't it? When uh, it can be said so easily that that's how close he was to God. It would be nice sometimes to have that kind of confirmation for ourselves. That perhaps God feels distant at times. And if somebody had given us a certificate saying the Lord is with you, that might be quite reassuring. But we don't have one. Uh, but here we have this description of Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. We're supposed to notice that. We're supposed to notice that he was successful. The story has three bits. First of all, there's the introduction in Potiphar's house. And then there's the point where Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce Joseph. And then finally, there's the conclusion in the prison. And in both the first and the third bits of the story, um, Joseph's success is heavily em emphasised. And uh, they want to really make a point of that. So let me read verses two to six and listen to how many times words like success, blessing, everything come up. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and, the Lord, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. You can see the point it's trying to make. And it's the same in prison a bit later on. Verse 20, while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. That first bit and the last bit are quite similar, aren't they? You have um, an Egyptian official who doesn't really mind what's going on because Joseph is in charge and Joseph is blessed and has all of this success. Everything, excuse me, everything that Joseph touches turns to gold. And obviously, at the centre of the story, it's not so much that the Lord is with him or his success, but his moral fidelity. You've got this picture of uh, Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him, and he repeatedly refuses. And perhaps when temptation was at its greatest, when there was no one else in the house, and uh, Potiphar's wife actually physically grabs him, he leaves his coat and runs out of the house. 
So Joseph's moral fidelity is really strongly emphasized. That's the, those are the sorts of things we're supposed to notice as we read this story. And now I just want to ask the simple question, what does that all mean for us today? It's quite natural when we read the story to place ourselves in Joseph's shoes. And we can learn some really good lessons from that. So his moral integrity is a great example to us. Remember Joseph is a really good motto for anyone who is in a similar place of temptation. Remember Joseph. We can also learn the lesson that God really is with his people in difficult situations. Could get much more difficult than Joseph being a slave in a foreign country, then a prisoner, and uh, a prisoner because his master's wife has tried to seduce him. But God was with him. And so that is a lesson we can learn. But with that approach, we can make some mistakes. And so we could say from this that obedience leads to blessing. But I don't know if you noticed, but when I read through the story, actually, the fact that Joseph was blessed comes before his obedience and is emphasized far more before he obeyed God than afterwards. Now, you could say that, well, God knew he was going to be obedient and therefore God blessed him. But why would the story put it the other way around if that was the case? So in actual fact, Joseph is blessed here because he is one of God's people and God has a covenant to fulfill. He's made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Jacob's Joseph's father, of course. And part of that covenant is that God will bless those individuals and their family. And God's blessing comes to Joseph here, even though Joseph is far away from his family in a foreign land because God has promised it. And so we can learn that lesson from the text. God certainly doesn't promise us today that everything we touch will turn to gold, just as it did for Joseph. And that is the clue to understanding what God wants to say through this story. The fact that we cannot really place ourselves, ourselves in Joseph's shoes and everything applies. We won't necessarily be successful in everything we do as Joseph was. The key point here, and in all of the rest of Joseph's story, and in fact this is why people have biographies written about them, is that Jesus, sorry, Joseph was unique. He was a special individual. He wasn't like everybody else. Joseph was unique. And so let's look at a couple of ways he was unique. First of all, his success. He started from a position of no privilege. He was a slave and then a prisoner and rose up through the ranks, if you like, to be prime minister of Egypt, which was a great ancient superpower. We, you know, there's quite a lot of talk at the moment about privilege, isn't there? And there are books being released right now about uh, the problem, the problem with public schools and how they promote privilege. And so you get uh, an elite few who end up in positions of government and so on. Now, I'm, I'm not sort of making a political statement. I don't know what's making all of that. I went to a private school and um, should I apologize for that? I'm not sure. But Joseph here comes from a, having no privilege whatsoever all the way up to prime minister. He was a unique individual. Nobody does that. Very few people do that. That's the first thing. His success shows he was unique. The second thing that shows Joseph was unique was the question, who is reading this story? Or who was reading this story when it first came out, when it was first published? 
Well, this story was for the ancient Israelites to read, the descendants of Jacob or Israel. Jacob was Joseph's father. Jacob was also the father of 11 other sons, the tribes of Israel. And so Joseph was one of those sons. But the fascinating thing is that he disappears into history in a way that the other sons don't. All of the other sons of Israel have tribes named after them, and Joseph doesn't. In Genesis 48, Jacob comes to Egypt, and he thought that he would never see Joseph alive again. And yet, here he is, he's seeing Joseph alive, and not only Joseph, but Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So Israel, Jacob, symbolically claims Ephraim and Manasseh as his own sons, and they become half-tribes. So you have 11 tribes of Israel, and then you have two half-tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. There is no tribe called the tribe of Joseph. And that causes Joseph to stand out in history, to stand alone in history. He's unique amongst all of the children of Israel. Also, we could look at the portrayal of the other brothers. Now, we've skipped this account, but if we were to look at what happens immediately before this story about Joseph and Potiphar's wife, we would come to the story of another of Israel's sons, and that is Judah. And in that story, we see Judah ending up in such a scandalous situation that he actually ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law without even realising that it's her. It's no coincidence that that story immediately precedes this story about Joseph's fidelity. There was a tribe called Judah, and a lot of people would have known that their forefather had acted in the way that Judah did. It was a bit different for Joseph, because there was no tribe of Joseph. He was unique in history and held up on a pedestal there. He was head and shoulders above his brothers, above everybody else in this story. And finally, Joseph is unique because of the role that he plays in the wider story. Through Joseph being sold into slavery and then being put into prison as a result of this story that we've just read, through that suffering and through that temptation, he ends up saving God's people from famine. You know the story. It's very famous from the musical and various other sources. Joseph is unique because he was the saviour. And as, as such, as a saviour, he is the picture of the greater saviour who would follow someone else that would stand head and shoulders above everybody around him. Somebody else who would stand alone in history. And that person, of course, is Jesus. The whole story of Jesus, uh, of Joseph, is a prophecy of the life of Jesus and the role that Jesus would play as saviour. And so I'm going to draw out from this story some of the things that we can admire about Jesus. And really, it's just that very simple message that I want us to take from this story, that the life to admire as we read this is not so much Joseph in all of his success, 
and his moral fidelity, although he is very admirable. But it's actually Jesus who we're to admire because he was all that Joseph was and more. So first of all, we've seen that the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord was with Jesus as well. In fact, in a slightly different way, because as you know, the Lord Jesus Christ was God himself. If Joseph had a cl close link with God, how much more did Jesus, who was God the Son incarnate? Just as Joseph was successful, so Jesus was successful. You could point to that and say that he never had a, a miracle backfire. But even more than that, his whole life achieved what he set out to achieve. He didn't fail. And before I read from some of the servant songs from Isaiah, and those prophecies specifically prophesied that Jesus would be successful in his mission. And he was. Joseph's success points forward to Christ's success. Joseph was obviously very moral person, very ethical person. It's difficult, isn't it, for us to admire leaders if they are unethical, if they're immoral. But in Joseph, they, uh, his brothers had a leader who they could admire when they did eventually meet him once again. He was morally upright. And in Jesus, we have a leader that we can admire, a leader we can look up to because he is morally perfect. He is completely ethical in everything that he does. And the wonderful thing is that he was strong in that way, not for himself, but for us and for our sake. And his righteousness is given to us so that we can stand before God with that perfect morality, that perfect ethical nature, and God can receive us warmly as perfect. But there are other things as well. Joseph was a nobody, as we've seen. He was in prison, he was a slave. And similarly, Jesus was very much a nobody. At Christmas, I preached about God at work in the, um, in the unexpected, in the normal, in the usual, in the ordinary. God works through the ordinary, most importantly, through Jesus, who had no privilege. And yet he was the saviour of all. Also, there's a similarity with Joseph in that Joseph's fate was in the hands of others. Most specifically, Joseph's fate was in the hands of a foreign leader, a foreign military leader, who did sympathise with him and saw the good things about him, but also bowed to the wishes of others. So Potiphar's wife influenced Potiphar, and Joseph's fate was in Potiphar's hands. Similarly with Jesus. Jesus was in Pilate's hands, and Pilate bowed to the wishes of the crowds. But in both cases, God clearly guided that person who had the authority. God guided Potiphar here, and God guided Pilate. Now, God guided Potiphar in quite an interesting way, because people, as they've read this over the centuries, have noticed that Potiphar just sends Joseph to the prison where the royal prisoners were kept. And that would be unheard of in the ancient world for a slave who was accused of trying to seduce his master's wife. In, in a time when slaves were quite regularly beaten to death for almost any reason, an accusation as great as this would usually result in, or would usually have resulted in Joseph losing his life. But he didn't. 
He was merely sent to the prison through which he met the cupbearer and the baker and by which he came to be the prime minister of Egypt and save God's people. Similarly, God clearly guided Pilate. And although Pilate was making decisions about Jesus's fate, those decisions had already been made long in advance and prophesied through various prophets that the punishment that Jesus would suffer would be the punishment we deserved. And he would take that on himself to deliver us from God's punishment, from hell, and make us suitable, fit for heaven. And so finally, even in the punishment, God's plan is achieved. And that plan is salvation. That's the case for Joseph here. He saved his brothers. And it's the case for Christ. And the question I want to put to you is, uh, how do you see Jesus? Do you admire him? And let's go back and think about the brothers of Joseph as they read this account, because their perspective of Joseph would have changed over time. Before they'd experienced the salvation that Joseph brought, they thought that Joseph was big headed. They thought he was selfish. This is the whole reason he ended up in Egypt in the first place. They didn't like him very much. And so imagine them at that stage reading this account of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. At best, they would have thought maybe it was a bit exaggerated or a bit cringeworthy, perhaps. At worst, they probably wouldn't have believed it was true. But after they had been saved, think of how those brothers responses would have changed. They had gone from being desperately hungry to being full because of their brother Joseph and because he stood up for what was right and because God granted him success. And wouldn't they be filled with warmth at that time and think this was my brother who has saved us and has saved not just us but loads of people around us. And so I want us to reach that stage when we look at Christ. If we haven't experienced Christ's salvation, then at best we might look at Christ's life and think that bits of it are a bit exaggerated. Maybe we admire him, but we don't quite believe it. But put your trust in Christ if you haven't already. And if you have, then move with me into this uh, perspective where we can look at the life of Christ and say, he was perfect for me. He took me when I was hungry and he filled me. He suffered to the point of death for my sake to deliver me. And so he's brought salvation. And so I'm going to finish there and just encourage you to look at Christ, your saviour, and to admire him. And if he isn't yet your saviour, then come to him, pray to him, ask him to be your saviour, and then read all about his life and see the wonderful things that he has done for you. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the life that you lived for our sake. Thank you that the life of Joseph so accurately depicts what your life was to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you suffered wrongfully, but you did it for our sake. Thank you that 
you maintained absolute integrity in your morals and your ethics so that that righteous life could be given to us, imputed to us, so that we could stand in the presence of God and be declared righteous because of what you have done. And so, Lord Jesus, please help us to admire you. Help us in this coming week to admire you, despite all of the busyness that we'll have to uh, go through, all of the day-to-day -day chores we'll have to do. May we all take a moment this week to admire you, Lord Jesus. Amen.